Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in New York Football Podcast presented by BetOnline.ag here. On the Belief Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The football season is over, but the NBA and college basketball seasons are in full swing. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in on, and you need to go to betonline.ag to do that. We hit our Super Bowl bets on this show. Brady MVP, Shaq Barrett over a sack, Trav- uh, Travis Kelsey over yards and receptions, and we cashed our Bucks future. So we ended the year on a high note, and that's all courtesy of BetOnline.ag from game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online, and there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So at the BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline. Uh, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. What is up, everyone? As always, I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez. Welcome back to the Believe in New York Football Podcast. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website. Follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. And we're doing the intro of the show similar, but a little bit different. This time, I have the people here waiting for me to get the show started already. I didn't want to waste any time because there is a lot to talk about in terms of this Super Bowl, but we have recurring guests, Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino back and better than ever. Maybe not Pat. Pat may not be better than ever, but yeah, I think Pat's actually a little mad at me. We'll get to that in a second, but fellas, the Super Bowl happened. Unfortunately, at this point, it happened. Uh, we weren't happy about it, but let's start there. What were, what were our thoughts? Did you... Before the game, did you at least enjoy the Super Bowl? Did you eat some good food? Did you drink some good beer? Were, were we jolly and merry for most of it, at least? Uh, as a festivity, it was enjoyable. Uh, I got to hang out with family. Um, did bring a couple of NJ Beer Co. beers. Um, so that was nice, I suppose. That was about the nicest part of the game. And just the evening in general. The halftime show I enjoyed. The weekend killed it. Uh, but a very disappointing showing. Uh, it was not a good look, I think, for the NFL in general, uh, the way that game played out. So so we were all texting each other. Pat, feel free to jump in. But we were texting each other during the game. And we were all on the same page initially, I guess, just from being football fans ourselves. It's just not the game we expected and we talked about. I mean, we just expected – you know, to have these two good teams go at it, these two great quarterbacks. And we didn't exact, exactly get that on one side. Um, we can get into why we think the game was the way it was. But, Pat, where were you at? You told me you were smoking a cigar in your in your socks in your driveway. Is that is that correct? Well, yeah, it's sort of a – it's become a tradition. I'm not a halftime show guy. I like to sort of reset, get some fresh air, collect my thoughts. A little cigar at the half. is a new. It's been a Super Bowl tradition of mine for years now. But we'll rewind a little bit to your initial question of how did you feel going into the game? Did I enjoy anything leading up to it? And I guess I'll, I'll rewind a step further, even to Saturday night. You know, the, the life of a professional gambler, there's a lot of highs and lows. And last week was 
you know, we were sharp, but like the results were not coming. So I was a little flat going into the weekend. Then Saturday night bailed out with a phenomenal UFC card. Everything went my way. Had a nice little, you know, package stored away that even if worst case, the Chiefs future doesn't come in, at least I could breathe. You know, I got a nice, uh, a nice solid foundation uh, going forward, even worst case scenario. So I'm a little confident Saturday night. I get greedy, though. I double down on my Justin Thomas golf bet to win and top five for a lot. He was a favorite for top five. He was minus 160. He was playing great all week. Um, okay, it is what it is. It was a little reckless, but I just was would have been shocked if he didn't top five. Anyway, we go to Sunday morning, and uh, they, they show JT on the first tee. He's walking down the fairway. He looks really sad and upset, and his grandfather had just died, and he was completely mentally defeated and checked out, literally didn't want to be there, double bogeyed the six hole. Obviously, I have nothing to complain about. My thoughts and prayers go out to JT's family, but that's a dirty feeling when you make a big wager and then all of a sudden that's how – that was the first sign that the day was going to be really bad. They literally panned to the guy and he's shocked and doesn't want to play. So that was a, a, a very big uh, a hit. Just I didn't even get to get a sweat. I didn't get to watch. I like to usually watch the Phoenix Open right up into the Super Bowl. I'm not a big pregame show guy, so that's like my first thing that I, that was problematic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I salvaged some positivities with a couple of good beers at my buddy's tavern uh, before the game. I picked up some wings and sort of was not happy, but you know, I was regrouping. You know, I, I wasn't going to let what happened to the Chiefs in the future happen to me. I wasn't going to let the events. Um, dictate the outcomes. The Chiefs did not respond. And the equation is events plus response equals outcome. The Chiefs just let the events cause the outcome. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about those events uh, in, in the next few minutes throughout the podcast. But that was sort of my my lead up to the game. Yeah. So the, the first segment here and the people on the stream can see it, it's therapy session. I think it's, it's important for all of us to vent here because there are some mixed feelings about this Super Bowl. I think a lot of people don't want to point fingers or point blame. We can do that on this show because it's my damn show. So I, th- I think it's needed. I think you see a lot of the talking heads in the media saying we shouldn't say this. We shouldn't say that. This is how the outcome would have happened. And I'm not fully sold on that because that first half was really, really ugly to watch. Now, I do want to touch on my bet where I knew the whole day was fucked. Um, tails never fails. And it was heads. And it was all pretty much downhill from there. I did hit my bets. Um, I talked to Pat before I got on the air. I kind of chickened out putting too much money on the hedge of the chiefs and decided to just ride with my guys in the bucks. I had ridden with that bet for a while, figured, you know what? I could spread that money around on the prop bets a little bit more. And I just did that. Uh, I put more money on, you know, Brady. My hedge was more a double down in that I bet Brady at plus two ten to win the super bowl MVP, which ended up happening. Shaq Barrett uh, came up with that sack, which I was telling you guys about. Uh, which was nice. I was freaking out because Mahomes dodged it in the first quarter. And I was like, if that was my chance, I'm going to lose my mind. But he ended up getting two more, which was great. And really, I mean, I want to start there kind of. We can get into the refs for a second, but we talked about this Bucks defense, guys. I mean, we, we, we hammered it home and we talked about how the Chiefs couldn't really stop anyone. But outside of the Bucks secondary, I mean, this is a really fierce defense. And I think we saw that. Uh, they sent they sent the blitzes when they needed to, but they learned from the last matchup. They weren't in man a lot. They just rushed four early in that game, dropped everyone in zone, and it was a big difference, in my opinion. Tyreek Hill was blanketed because of it, and really they just felt uh, fed Kelsey, which was great for my overs, but not great to watch 
you know, in terms of football, because this is an offense that you get excited to see. You want to see these reverses and these runs and no one really did anything. And the offensive line, we talked about it. We had confidence this coaching staff would be able to piece it together without Eric Fisher. And they just weren't. I mean, you could tell they were missing their left tackle. So uh, let me kick this one off and I'm going to blame myself in one regard and then the chiefs offensive staff in another regard. I think when I sort of go back on my handicapping you know, I really like the bucks going into the green Bay game. And I think that performance would have looked cleaner and sharper even more than I, than I really counted going into this game. If whitehead didn't get hurt, you know, once they got into their backup backup safety uh, they couldn't really get lined up in a whole lot of their packages and it limited what they could do on the defensive end. I think that actually kind of let Green Bay back into the game a little bit. Now, maybe the Packers would have mounted a comeback anyway, but I think there's actually a chance that if the Bucks stayed healthy defensively in that game, that they could have, you know, handled their business by two scores. And like, it could have been a tour de force in the NFC championship game. That was a possibility. I kind of overlooked that uh, a little bit and just, where I'll blame the Chiefs is that, you know, the Bucks didn't do anything super fancy. It was man under too deep. You have to run the ball against it. You have to QB run against it. Uh, you have to sprint out. You have to use bunch sets. You have to get the ball out quick. And they were just so damn greedy. They never took what the defense gave them. They wanted it all. And as soon as their offensive line started to get overwhelmed, you know, it was like too late. It was too big of a gut punch. They were unwilling uh, and the clock was working against them at that point anyway to really, you know, switch it up. And, you know, in the second half, they did start running that little – I don't want to call it a G lead play. It almost looked like a sprint draw. They ran it about five times. It worked every time. They were getting like 10 yards a carry, but that wasn't enough then. We're down three yeah. scores. Like, we needed chunk plays. So, I don't know. I, I just thought it was a very, very, very strange performance from enemy and Reed. Uh, thought Mahomes was pretty valiant and tough. You know, he didn't play well. Don't get me wrong. He did not have a good game. Uh, but he showed some heart, some grit it's standing in there. Uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how much to blame on the, you know, the circumstances of traveling to Tampa late. It was a little awkward. It kind of was their first true road game, which I didn't put any stock into beforehand. Uh, also, like the, the Reed, you know, his son's the car accident, you know, tragedy would happen with uh, the little girl, these kids getting into that accident the day before. I don't know if that was on their mind, but really lacked a, a a tremendous amount of focus and confidence coming into the game. You know, you can see early a lot of bad signs, body language, just not efficient and sharp in their movements. Everything didn't look good if you were a Chiefs better. Really starting with that that punt. Uh, yeah. The first drive, the Bucks went three and out. So oh we got God. what we wanted. But you could tell early that there were a lot of key players on the Chiefs that were not feeling themselves. And that, that punt was awful, Pat. That was really bad. I didn't even see that going into it. It's funny. A rookie punter. Who would have even thought? And he shanked the first one. They make him repunt it. Shanked it even worse the second time. That was brutal. Uh, I want to hammer home the, the Chiefs a little bit more, but I like talking about this Bucks defense. I mean, I, I gas up Devin White every single time you guys have been on this show. I just say he has a nose for the football. It was no difference at the end of the game. It is insane how talented this defense is, but really came together, man. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. was laying the wood. He's a rookie. I, I mean, you don't make an excuse for a rookie. I mean, you talk about a punter, a rookie safety, highest highest level of it all, and he was balling out. Uh, they were all doing their part. They, they were a well-oiled machine, and, you know, I think you're right. I think the Packers game was a little 
I, we knew how good the defense was, but they didn't look as dominant against the Packers as I think we expected. And that kind of made me iffy against this Chiefs offense, especially on those deeper um, those deeper throws that would have been to Hill or Hardman. Hardman was also a non-factor. But again, I want to give credit to this uh, Bucks D and kind of the moves that they made. Granted, they were loaded. They, they, they had guys. We've known they've had guys, but they had Veya. They've had McClendon to stop the run. Sue showed up. I mean, JPP, Shaq, Levante, they, all these names were called during the game. You really figure out how good this defense has been. And it was just awesome to watch for me as a defensive guy too. And Campy, feel free to jump in to just see it all come together. I, I mean, it's, it's, ni- it's nice to see, especially against, you know, a dynamic offense like the Chiefs. Yeah, no, I mean, that just showed, you know, it's a testament to the job that Jason Light has done with just the drafting. I mean, we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I was bringing up just the the guys they've hit on in the draft over the last three, four years. And they're all, you know, a lot of them are game changers or, or on their way to being that. Devin White, you know, we, we talked about it last week. Was he going to be able to you know, not get lost with the flow of motions and all those different gimmick plays the Chiefs had or anything like that. Nope, he was still running around like a maniac, making plays. He got a pick. Um, you know, he's a guy that's just constantly buzzing. Um, and it's really just a matter of time until he, his presence is felt. Um, the the big thing that was, and you guys have alluded to it, just the the offensive line of the Chiefs struggling – and, and we know that that front four has had an impact uh, in the playoffs. And I believe we were, you know, just looking at Twitter, I think it was uh, Dan Orlovsky that had mentioned or, or someone did that it was uh, the Chiefs had five-man protection 92% of the time in that game. And for them to not adjust and throw in, you know, keep the back end to block or – or just a tight end, something to give these guys a break. It's a lot to ask for any O-line, you know, when you drop a left tackle. By no means is Eric Fisher, Jonathan Ogden, or anything like that. But it's still the biggest stage. And to not adjust despite having those pressure, those pressures with four guys, and Mahomes, you know, looking like Neo in the pocket and just dodging every which way, all these bullets coming at him there's something that needs to be done at some point um, to try to alleviate the pressure off of not only the offensive line, but off of Mahomes. And yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about it as a group, uh, just the, the bucks, what were they going to do on defense? You know, playing too high, too man on, you know, too high and man under anything like that. And they did that. They took away the big play. Um, you know, Mahomes as a quarterback and the Chiefs as an offense, you know, they weren't the same offense that was as dynamic as they were uh, when they played the Pats in the AFC Championship two two years ago or, you know, even so last year, but they were efficient and they they did mature in that sense of taking what the defense gave them. And you didn't see that this game. Um, and I think there were obviously some contributing factors you know, uh, that could have hindered that. But it was very frustrating to see just the the Chiefs come up, you know, punchless. They just really didn't have anything fall their way when they needed to. Kelsey with a big drop for a first down um, in the first, I think, 
two series or first series in general, um, you know, drops galore, you know, nobody could, you know, Mahomes is literally horizontal from the field and throwing 30 yard dimes and hitting dudes in the face mask and they aren't coming up with the catches. Uh, it, it was, it was something to behold, uh, when he's defying logic and just getting these, you know, just beaning dudes and it just didn't fall their way in a lot of scenarios when they really needed a, a big, a big play to help them out. So the pressure totals, according to PFF, was 38 to 5. Glaring difference. And I think, you know, it's a testament to the Bucks D, but, you know, the Chiefs D, and this is how I could tie it into kind of what we were going on our rant with uh, during the game. The Chiefs D got flustered. I mean, they couldn't get anything going. Chris Jones was flustered early on um, with some penalties. Tyron was getting targeted with Tom. They had some chattering. But on the same point, they let those penalties get to their heads. And I think it's deservingly so. I just think, you know, those were terrible calls to, to call that early into the game. In my, the hold was egregious. The PI was questionable. And maybe the offsides on the field goal wasn't that bad. If your helmet's in the neutral zone or if it's crossing the ball, I get that. But the angle they showed us was dog shit. I got no indication that it was actually that call. We had no idea. And we just had to run with it. But those are huge factors you're taking three points off to give them a free set of downs and it's just like i i don't know what was going on uh on the defensive side of the ball for the chiefs but i really do think that they were significantly flustered because of the outcomes of those penalties it seemed like they were the uh, you know the the chris jones call i think those happen routinely uh i mean jensen is probably my least favorite player. Uh, he's a he's a he's a guy that just stirs the pot constantly. And look, right, he he initiates it. Jones gets caught. Um, the Matthew thing, you know, <laughs> and then you have the Matthew issue where he initiates it. Brady responds, but Matthew gets caught. <laughs> so the logic goes out the window on that one. The biggest issues, though, I mean, if you look at the the hold on Ward that wiped away Matthew's pick um, was brutal. Uh, that was on third and four. That's at seven a seven three game. If you get that turnover in that situ- situation, uh, that could possibly change the whole process of the game. And then later on, you and that same drive that the offsides, which right we we did not see the angle, at least from home, you have to assume that, yes, he lined up offsides. Well, it goes from a 10-3 to game to 14-3. to And then the biggest one, the most egregious, I thought was the Evans PI. Uh, it was clearly they, they – it was incidental. I saw no type of, you know, intent to trip him up. You literally see the replay. His heel – Evans' heel clicks uh, – I think it was Sneed's shin to start, and he starts tripping right from there. And the ball was not catchable, in my opinion, either. And, you know, the refs have the ability to pick up the flag, and they didn't do it. Uh, you know, these these were these were the issues I had. It was very similar. I mean, just the penalty totals, other than the Chiefs getting some calls when the game was well decided really late in the fourth, um, it was lopsided. It was a... It was reminiscent in a lot of ways, in, in my opinion, to the Jags-Patriots game in the AFC Championship, uh, I think in 2018 or 2017, 
where they had a huge PI call before half that had the Patriots come go up another touchdown, you know, they put them on the one yard line. You know, these things, the frustration with officials is going to be the case, the case, you know, any given day, any given year, whatever. The job of the officials is to make sure that the game is under control. It's to make sure that they're consistent with their calls. And when it's so obvious that officials are, their impact is being felt one-sided than the other, that's a problem. All right, that's a problem. So that's that's the biggest stain on that game. And sure, the Bucks probably may have still won or would have still won. But when you have those scenarios occur where there are huge impact penalties uh, and, and the presence of it is felt and known, it, it leaves a bad taste. Yeah, Pat, jump in. But I just wanted to note, the, the first slide I saw of penalties was just, I think it was seven or eight for the Chiefs for about 90 to 100 yards. And it was, I think, one for five on the other way. It was egregious. And they were third downs and they were for first downs and they're taking points off the board. So, and the turnovers. So it, it was tough. It, it definitely was tough to watch in the first half for me. One thing that really frustrated me just with the broadcast of the game and some of the camera angles being used, like we never really saw officials huddling. We never really saw like the preemptive nature of what sparked the call. It was like they, they were zooming on something and you had to wait for Romo to say, Oh, this is going to be on Kansas city, Jim. Like, no, no, no. Let me watch and see what it's going to be on. Like I, I want to decide that they literally put us in like limbo for 10 seconds after all these plays. Is there a flag? Is there not a flag? Who's like, I remember you just briefly see the yellow come up on the bottom, then they get off that screen. And I'm like, please let this be against the Bucks one time. Like, we need something to break our way. And Jim's like, nope, this is going to stand. Like, what do you mean it's going to stand? How do you know? Let us see the conversation. I want to watch that myself. That really pissed me off during the game, man. I, I, I don't know. That's like the, the Super Bowl they always use to test the new scoreboard at the bottom, which you saw was a little bit different graphics. Uh, they do like sort of a different procedure with the you know, the production of the game. And I, I didn't like what CBS did. Uh, that's, you know, a little bit besides the point that was just Yo, for stay my own on that for a second, Pat, because I like that. I don't like the change. And I was, I didn't know how to feel about the CGI Vince Lombardi either. It was a lot. There was a lot going no, no. on for me. There was a lot going on. I was like, let's do less here, guys. It's because it was a weird week. It was a weird Super Bowl. We were talking about it. Like the whole lead up, there, there was something odd going on to the feel of the Super Bowl. And then I just felt like, the whole beginning of it was just off. Like the Vince Lombardi thing just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like I get it, but it just wasn't needed. Right? It wasn't needed. And then, yeah, they were changing it. All the HD cameras, all they care about is the HD, like the, 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 the super expensive camera. It's like, just, I'm here to watch football. We can't be, we watch huddle. We watch tape on huddle. Like I'm used to that quality football. I'd, I'd watch it either way. I don't need the HD. So no, Pat, I, it's, it kind of matters, though, because it's like they change everything for that game. It's like, you know, for what? Like, the, the real football fan doesn't care about that shit. Yeah, I don't I mind don't. if they want to experiment with some new stuff a little bit, but you got to still give us the meat and potatoes. And I feel like we were robbed a little bit of the traditional broadcast of a game. Like, I, that felt like a whole different sport, sort of. I, was, I felt like I was in the twilight zone the entire game. Was that because I drank too many high noons and beers and over – filled myself on wings and rigatoni vodka and I was just in shambles but I, the whole day was not right I didn't sleep a wink after the game 
not I, I shouldn't say that I slept one hour I slept from like 1 30 a.m to 2 30 a.m and just woke up staring at the ceiling and it was just very dark times and I'm glad we're having this therapy session to talk, talk it through I, I'm struggling still I have to admit. I blame the rigatoni vodka if I'm getting out in front of it I'm blaming the rigatoni vodka that's it's, it's gotta it's it's gotta be if you gotta pinpoint something I mean I don't blame uh I don't blame any of those other things you said. There, <laughs> there was definitely a, a a weird aura around some of the pregame stuff, and and I, I, I you know, I hadn't even really thought about it because I was just so focused on certain aspects of the game, just the process of the 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 viewing of the actual Super Bowl, and it, it was a different a different spin to it, um, and. Uh, yeah, it, it was odd. I don't know why. You you can't really put your finger on it. Some of those things, maybe it was just the 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 idea, you know, the pandemic Super Bowl, or you know, not all the not every not that the whole stadium not being filled with ENIAC people, fans, and just you know the full glory that goes into the game. Um, it was a lot of weirdness oddness you know come up with whatever adjective you want to come up with for me i felt like football was like the third option at least in the beginning and i again i think it's because it was a pandemic super bowl and i get it there's a lot going on in the world football is a minor thing when you think about all the real things that are going on and i get that but you know for me football for a lot of people is that escape from everything that's going on and i felt like you really couldn't get that and i understand it's because it's this year and with everything that's going on. I mean, when you think about last year's Super Bowl, it was right before all the chaos hit. So this was going to naturally be different. But I feel like sporting events as a whole, the, the finals was a bubble. The MLB wasn't really exactly, you know, what this is. There were some fans there, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe there was. I can't exactly remember. But it wasn't at this level. And there were some fans. There was still Super Bowl stuff going on. So they were trying to make it seem like it wasn't different, but it was. So I felt like it was just this, like, awkward tug and pull of, like, we have to hit all these agendas. We have to make sure we, we have all this going on. You know, there's Brady versus Mahomes. And then then there's the Super Bowl. Then there's the game we actually have to play. And then, like, under all that, they're just it – wasn't, it wasn't that good of a game. I mean, to think the Chiefs don't even score a touchdown, it just – it sucks. It sucks. In my opinion, the, the, the actual game itself, which I turned in to watch every year, um, it just underwhelmed me. I, I didn't like yeah. it very much. I mean, the game was obviously terrible, but you're right. Like the game itself kind of got lost, at least in the bubble sports. The focus was the playing field. Like we, I think a lot of fans enjoyed that. I know I did. It wasn't really at all the pomp and circumstance. And it, it, it almost felt like you were watching a movie with the Super Bowl. Like I actually had a dream. I don't know. I think, I guess it was last night. I woke up then and I thought the Super Bowl wasn't real. I didn't actually lose everything on the Chiefs. So I was kind of positive for a few seconds, but then it, it was real, uh, of course. Uh, it was a surreal day, and I still – I don't think we'll ever know how much of an impact uh, Reed's son's car accident had. Uh, something had the Chiefs' minds in a different place uh, for 60 minutes in that game, and it's the coach's head job to – the head coach's main job is to bring everybody back once it starts to slip a little bit in the wrong direction, and there was never – any sort of response, not just schematically. I just mean body language, effort. Like the Chiefs were relying too much on positive events to give them momentum. It was like if they got the Honey Badger pick, maybe they do get going a bit. But like, what? 
you can't control the officials. The refs did a terrible job. I will not never agree, disagree with that. They butchered the game in the first half borderline ruined the game. Um, but in real time in the field of battle, you almost have to embrace that. Okay. We're going against the refs too. Let's deal with that adversity. We're not going to chirp. We're not going to take af- personal fouls, even though I think that was a terrible call on Jones, let him play. Don't steal the show. But anyway, like turn every little sign of adversity into an opportunity to respond instead of to like panic. And I felt like there was a lot of panic with Kansas city. And again, I'm, I'm discrediting the bucks by talking so much about the chiefs, but I expected the bucks to play well. Like I, the Chiefs is what is like the shocking part of. But you want to know what the other shocking thing too for me is? It was so bad in the first half that I think if it's any other team other than the Chiefs, you could have looked at that and been like, "This game's probably over." In the first half, with everything of how it was going, with just the way the ball was rolling, you probably look at it and you're like, "I they're gonna have to." They got the ball coming out of half, but they would have they had a lot of work cut out for them. But you're like, "This is the Chiefs. They can do it quick enough. They have enough firepower. They could probably do it." And I remember sitting there, I'm like, if this isn't the Chiefs, like up into the fourth quarter, I'm like, well, they just need one. Like, I mean, that's what they were. They just need to get the ball rolling. And they just really didn't get any place of any sort to really just trend in their direction. Not an explosive return, not a big play. Like Kelsey was the only one making plays and that was it. I mean, the Clyde runs, like Clyde was probably it. And those were like draws. It wasn't even anything... You know. No, it was uh, – I mean, we – yeah, you, you, you hit it on the head. It's just nobody – there were opportunities to be to be had, you know, for – you know, to capitalize on them, and no one, no one stepped up. I mean, it, it was, you know, devastating to watch because we, we've come to, you know, this – just know this Chiefs team as dynamic, as big play opportunity, you know, capitalize on – mental mistakes um and they've done it time and time again they've you know insurmountable leads are not there you know they there is no such thing with this team and it was a resounding thud you know in 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 a response uh, at, in football is a funny game uh any given day you know team can win it's the old cliche uh and they just didn't have it that day you know the Reed Reed Sun issue. I have to think, just like Pat, and and I'm sure you you're along with this too, Rod. Just I'm sure that had an impact on the mental state of everyone. I mean, everything going on with the pandemic, right? Um, you got to give credit where credit is due. Obviously, with the Bucks, I mean, they they were in the scenario where they didn't really need to do that much offensively, uh, and when it came down to it, the defense stood out above all, you know, Bowles's crew, they, they came ready to play Bowles, you know, called a great game. Um, And yeah, the offense did what they needed to, you know, that's, that's basically it. Let's go there. So let's talk about the bucks real quick, just to summarize it. Brady gets his seven. That's great. Gronk hadn't done anything seemingly all year, two touchdowns, the first two. I mean, that was a huge thing, I think, as well. The fact that Gronk, uh, Gronk was the one to get those TDs because obviously you know what they have together and just, you know, the mantra of Gronk and doing, you know, the whole Gronk spike and whatnot. So, so that was momentum in itself. But the Bucks hand the Chiefs and Mahomes, at least, Mahomes, his first double-digit loss, I believe, as a pro. Yeah, I don't ever. think he's lost by double digits as a pro at all. And that's probably why we think any lead is not insurmountable because he's – you know, so used to coming back and at least making it close. So, I mean, they gave him a thudding, but 
Brady's at the heel of it all. He really didn't have to do too much. This is just another story of Brady's defense did a phenomenal job. They can't give the entire D the MVP. So Brady gets it by default. Why it was a great bet, but where are you guys at with Brady now? I mean, where do you think this one kind of puts him? I mean, obviously the goat talk is the goat talk, but I just, as a whole, I mean, he leaves the Patriots and his first year with the Bucks pulls this one out. I mean, we we've touched on it, at least my opinion of it. Um, you know, obviously, right, great leader. But it, in a way, it was, a you know, a bit of a band of mercenaries that tagged along when Brady went to Tampa. You know, he gets Gronk, he gets Sue, he gets uh, AB to come there. You know, all these different guys that have impacts in certain ways. I would argue, though, honestly, AB, if you removed him, having Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller get more snaps, I think would probably be better for the Bucks offense personally. Um, but, you know, you have all these dominoes put in place and, and fall perfectly. Um, and, you know, the, the presence of right presence of mind to go from a team that had a quarterback that threw 30 picks last year to a guy that threw, I think 10 total for the year, maybe 12 for the year, including playoffs. Um, and a guy that threw 40 TDs, you know, he, he, he was the puzzle for that offense. He completed it basically. Um, I would still argue that if you had a, a competent quarterback, they would be good. When you have a guy at Brady's caliber go into that situation, they're going to be great. And a lot of the situations that arise, Look, they got the fourth seed. They got to go play – excuse me, fifth seed. They got to go to play Washington, a team that wasn't anywhere near, I think, competitive. Yes, they have a good defense, but, I mean, you're playing a fourth-string quarterback who played a hell of a game, to be fair to him. Um, but I've already forgotten his name, you know. It's just like one of those things where it just – it was a – yeah, Heineken. Heineken. Bottle of Heineken played for him in that game. Also, so so he had 15 total picks. Three in the right, playoffs, 15. 12 in the regular season. But still half. So, you cut those yeah, in half. You cut it in half. And so you go Washington, then you go on the road, and you play New Orleans team that, you know, just isn't the same with Breeze, who's in, you know, should retire. Obviously, he's declined. He's no longer at the height of his powers. Then they go their toughest, I think, obviously, their toughest – Ask was going into Green Bay, um, and things fell their way, and they played a great game, and uh, they got to get out of there despite, you know, some miscues as an offense and in a defense that obviously injuries hurt them, and uh, they get to play at home. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal to be able to play the Super Bowl at home. Um, I still don't think it was that big of a deal, uh, but. You know, it was just disappointing because I'm I'm under the impression that the AFC is the stronger conference by far than the NFC, and and you have Mahomes who I is clear cut the best quarterback in the league, again in my opinion, um, and to just just be a team have a game that there was really no no. Uh, resistance it was just a very very much a, a speed bump of a game for the bucks so uh, I, just to sort of you know 
a little tangent off what you just said there, Camp. I think if the in some alternate universe, if the Bucks played the Chiefs in the wild card round, the Chiefs destroy them. I think I think the Bucks got better slowly and steadily. I think Brady, the Brady factor was more of a calming factor than anything else and a reassuring factor in the sense that TB12, like, how did you do it in New England? There's no secret sauce. Like, it's just come to work every day, do your job. And I think the Bucks realized as they started to just be simple, be balanced on offense, run the ball pretty well, to be good on third down, have a good aggressive defense. Once they realized that their best was good enough, they got filled with more and more confidence, got better and better. And I think a big story with this young secondary, that bye week, you know, that's probably one of the most biggest practice time sessions they've had as a group since the season has started with the pandemic. Like everything was abbreviated and shortened in the off season. Like they were the team getting better and surging and the chiefs, uh, I think we're a little bit shook for whatever reason. I mean, I know what the reason is It's because, you know, they knew their offensive line was, was in for a long day. Sure. Still, I cannot understand the, the lack of, you know, game planning to sort of take a little pressure off those guys. That's sort of uh, in, incomprehensible for me. Uh, but yeah, just the Bucks, you know, got, got good at the right time. And I think they're a team, they're a force to be reckoned with going forward. I don't think this is a one, one and done type thing. I think we had another Super Bowl. Who knows? I mean, that's hard to do, but I think they have like turned the corner. Even if Tom left now, he like, they know now what it takes right. like a good, a good QB now I think could get it done for Tampa yeah I, th- I think there's a lot of you know you you brought up a valid point they did clearly get better you know as a group uh you could say that back to the regular season when they came off that three-game losing streak you know and and lost to the Chiefs that was that last loss they had uh 27-24 um they definitely needed time to grow together as a group um but absolutely as the playoffs went I mean, any team, you win a game, you gain more confidence. You win another, you continue to think that this is possible. You have that belief system instilled within you. Um, And when you have, you know, you have Brady there that's been there literally double-digit times uh, to to be there for the Super Bowl, it's going to make you feel a certain type of way for sure. Um, So you definitely had everyone buy into it, Uh, you know, Brady by no means was spectacular, you know, in the playoffs. I I thought he was fairly human. He had moments, absolutely, like any good player is supposed to. Um, But, uh, you know, I think the driver of that team was that defense and uh, the offensive line continued to improve. They had some very opportunistic, you know, Individuals get healed from injury. I think if Vita Vea doesn't come back, possibly that defense doesn't quite have the same impact in those last two games. Uh, If the safeties don't get healthy or have those two weeks to get healthy for the Super Bowl, that defense probably isn't the same. Whitehead and Winfield Jr. um, If they weren't able to play. Uh, so I, I guess the biggest thing that's disappointing, and we talked about it last week, we said, Hey, if you had to take one coaching staff or the other, who would you take? We all said chiefs yeah. and for them to go out with a whimper like that, that's the devastating part. I really think it's just, that's the problem. Yeah, no. And, and for me too, I just think of the whole with me, Brady the, in the NFC championship game, 
I, I'm trying to remember the whole time you guys were talking which the player was, and I thought it was Devin White, but I can't really be sure. The one guy was, like, crying. He was freaking out, and he's like, I can't believe I'm going to the Super Bowl, and he's like, we're not done yet. Like, that's the calm. Like, being there before, and we talked about experience being a thing. The Chiefs had been there before, most of that team at least. The Bucks really hadn't outside of Brady and Gronk. And to have a guy like, hey, put this into perspective. Like, there's a lot going on here. Like, and I don't think the home field mattered, but I think maybe for these younger guys, it kind of did because you get to go back home. You don't have all this pageantry of being on the road again. I think not having media day and being in front of cameras. Like, imagine if that Reed thing happened on the Chiefs with all that going on. I mean, it, it, it was different. It's not the Super Bowl we were expecting. But to circle it back to Brady, I just think, yeah, we knew the Bucs could have been a good team last year if Winston just didn't throw as many pick sixes and as many picks as he did. And that's why they were in the business for a game manager and who better than Brady. And it reminded me a lot of that. Um, he wasn't on his last leg like Peyton was, but Peyton on that last Broncos world, uh, world championship team, he trusted the defense and he just knew he just had to do enough offensively to, you know, put his team in a position to succeed. And with Brady though, I think he just had so many fucking weapons. I mean, that's the one yeah. thing we were talking about weapons last week too. And I was like, I got to go with the Bucks. It's hard to deny that. I mean, AB is whatever, but to think that you have Godwin and Evans there forever and the guys, when you get to the Super Bowl to score the, the three touchdowns are Gronk twice and AB. It's just like, of course, of course. Yeah. You know? I'm going to, I'm going to mention, I'm going to chime in on that Peyton Manning comparison before uh, Belly's head explodes. Ooh, I would but, love uh, to. We, let's but, bring these conversations back up. But, versus, um, uh, Brady. But it's not it's not <laughs> close. It's not close uh in comparison to to uh Manning's last year with the Broncos. Um Brady still obviously is a you know, he's still a top ten quarterback. He's still able to make the throws. Um do I think that he's as big an impact on the field? No. Um does he miss throws that he shouldn't be missing more so than he has in the past yes um but as long as his arm strength continues to be at this level he's he's going to certainly not be a detriment to the team um will that you know it's kind of one of those things where you should be able to tell you know a quarterback's arm strength from year to year and if it was that bad you know or if they looked like they were falling off um, we would probably anticipate it this year. And it, it's not to the point where it looks like he can't make the throws yet. It's not Drew Brees level. It's not, it's not thing like that. He can still make the throws. I think it's more the accuracy aspect to it. The biggest thing going into next year for the Bucks is, you know, does Jason Light do another good job of getting one or two rookies that can be an impact right away? And what does this team look like after free agency, does Chris Godwin stick around? Um, I, I honestly don't think he's going to. I think a couple of guys are going to move on and try to get a little more money. But they have pieces in place where it shouldn't matter very much. Um, you know, with Tyler Johnson, with Scotty Miller at the receiving positions, you know. Um, and, you know, I, any of these guys that sign those one-year deals, I guarantee you they want to stick around because they just won a Super Bowl and Brady's still there. Um, so I'm sure if they want to stay, they'll take a contract that gets them to stay. Playing in Florida helps too, no income tax. So they can take a cheaper deal and still make a decent amount of money. 
I don't want to get too off tangent here. I just want to know what uh where Pat stands on this. In their primes, were you in the Brady camp or were you in the Peyton camp? Just based on that comment alone. Where where did you where did you reside? Because everyone had a side. Everyone had a side when they were playing. Well, it's lost in the mesh now. People forget about <clears throat> that debate. I mean, Sunday at one o'clock, routinely. Peyton Manning was probably the best I've ever seen to do it. Mm. I'm talking from week one through week 17, mm-hmm. in and out, you know, the sheriff. If you're talking about the leader of your franchise, um, if the big prize is to win the whole thing, like you can't argue with, with Brady's success. I think his intangibles are a little different. Um, but just like, you know, flick on the TV, week three, one o'clock, I think Peyton Manning – you know, it was a little bit different. You know, Tom, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, yeah, no, I was he, a Brady guy a, because I liked right. the leadership. I mean, Peyton was an amazing leader too, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always a Brady guy just because of, to me, I seeing, see him a little bit more of as a winner. Uh, just his record, you know, speaks to that. But, but you know, Peyton, I, let's not throw Peyton – uh, kick him to the curb now just because of how Brady is elevated, you know. Well, first ballot Hall of Famer player. this weekend, too. That's actually why yeah. I tied it in together. He just got in. So, that, that I mean, that was awesome to see, too. And it was always like that. I think I always stood on that side. And it's funny because I, I didn't root for Peyton as hard because I got the little brother. And, like, I I always used to jab at Peyton, play, uh, Peyton fans because Eli got two first. And so uh, I loved, I actually love both sides of that being a, a giant fan because Eli owns Brady and he also owns Peyton, but we won't, we, that's a whole conversation for another show, but yeah, I mean, this builds up uh, Eli's uh, resume, the more Brady wins. I'm just, that's the underlining. This is a New York football show. Pat, you can roll your eyes. You better be careful who listens to this show. We got some giant fans out there and we all know Eli's trolling too. Eli's an expert troller now too. He knows what Brady's seventh means for him. He took him down twice. Took him down twice, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Eli. Look, I, I've I've always I've always liked Peyton a lot for his leadership, for his personality, and just as a performer. So I always is in the Peyton camp. Obviously, being a Jets fan, I have that bit of bitterness to me for Brady, but you know, you always have to understand just he's, it's unquestionable just what he's been able to accomplish. I always go into the frame of mind for that argument of Brady certainly is the most accomplished. Do I think he's the best quarterback ever? No. Um, But it's hard to overlook the team uh, achievements and and so on. So uh, the, the Eli aspect of it and, and, you know, I, I think that, Personally, that whole draft class, Big Ben, Rivers, and Eli, they're all going to be um, – I truly think, honestly, that they probably will all be first ballots, um, even Rivers. Uh, but the only one that probably won't be a first or, or would have the least chance would be Rivers just because of the yeah. lack of playoff success. But the fact that all three of those guys were taken in the same year – um, I think that the NFL is going to make a very big point to get them all in and, and basically argue the point of, oh, this may be the an even better class than 83. You know? you know, Speaking of that class, Campy, if you were to ask me five years ago uh, which player would end up lasting the longest of the three of them, it would be the least Iron Man one. 
He, I mean, B- Big Ben has been in a walking boot since 07, and this guy still wants to come out and play next year. Just retire. Just yeah. retire. Just sail off into the damn sunset. Like, I don't understand what he has to prove anymore. Let me tie this all together now because we're talking about other teams and other aspects here. Let's just cap this episode off and just talk about general offseason storylines. What are you guys looking forward to? Because we are now without football for a significant period of time here, fellas. So, what are you looking forward to see, I guess, offseason-wise to bridge the gap until the NFL draft? Are we expecting any head-turning moves? Obviously, Carson Wentz is the big one that's out there right now. But it could be for your own respective teams. Can't be maybe something with the Jets. What are you excited about over this dead period of no sports? Well, uh, being a hockey fan, that's helpful. Thankfully, I get to watch the Rangers. Uh, as long as they're competitive, I'm pretty happy. Um, but in the football aspect of it, it is going to be interesting to just see how this whole QB carousel shakes out. A lot of expected movement, a lot of theoretical moves being made. Um, you know, the whole Watson soap opera that is going to eventually shake out. You know, Wentz, who knows, he could be traded by this week at some point, you know, with all the rumors. You know, does Jimmy G go back to New England? Uh, does... Uh, you know, does Big Ben actually stay with, you know, stay with Pittsburgh? Does he retire? Uh, you know, does Breeze actually retire? Because he hasn't officially retired yet. Uh, and they just reworked his contract to shave off some salary cap space. Uh, there should be some old heads that are retiring. Um, and of course, the only one we know that's not gonna is Tom Brady, he, despite winning another Super Bowl and having the record. He still wants to keep playing. Um, having his supermodel wife is not enough. Living in Florida now is not enough. Uh, you know, uh, and Tampa is the uh, the king of the castle this year. So it's it. I, I think the QB carousel is the thing that certainly will be on everyone's minds leading up to the draft, and the impact that will have on the draft in terms of teams making moves. Yeah, I agree with you, Campy. You pretty much on everything. I guess I'm eager for a finality to this Wentz sort of saga. You know, I feel like I'm par- partially connected to the Eagles. They're like a pseudo-Northeast team as well. A lot of my Twitter followers and just college buddies are big Eagles fans, so I'm really curious to see how that shakes out. I, I still think the the logical move, even though people have been telling me all along that this is too easy and too obvious, just go to Indy. I think if Reich doesn't want him, that's a major indictment on Wentz because uh, he's seen firsthand what he brings to the table. So it would actually bother me as far as my projections of Carson going forward if he doesn't land in Indianapolis because that means the guy who knows him best doesn't think he's the man for the job. So that's kind of what I'm excited about as well as you know draft prep. I, I really enjoy the draft and going through some prospects and even seeing how you know the local teams shake out. You know, Judge is still a young coach. Uh, any changes coming on the giant staff doesn't look that way, especially in terms of Garrett. And let's see how Robert Sala does, you know, in his first off season, sort of the, the tones coming out of jet camp. So I guess that's what I'm going to be most looking forward to. I mean, in the short term for me too, it's obviously cuts. I was talking to you guys about that. I mean, we got a few weeks here for teams to 
make some salary cap moves to then free up free agency. That's probably the more immediate thing. And, you know, that adds into the QB carousel, but there's also a lot of other things going on in free agency that is to be seen. A lot of big name wide receivers. I would love to see where this wide receiver market hits because we're, I'm hearing some crazy numbers being thrown around and that would just be baffling to me. The Giants and the Jets, the Jets especially have a lot of money to throw around, but if they end up getting Watson, it changes some things. So yeah, I, I think to tie that together, especially with this show, I, I'm excited to see about what these regimes do, um, especially in the draft, but leading up to the draft. Because for a guy like Salah, I mean, I enjoyed what Judge did in his first year and to kind of see him change the mantra of the Giants and just give something back to this team, just a little bit of soulness, a little air back in the sale. And I think the Jets really need that. And if he's able to do that in the season, I would be very, very impressed because that is not an easy thing to do. All gas, no break, baby. All gas, no break. I mean, there's not uh, like we've talked about the Jets. Yep, they got a lot of cap space. They got to figure out the quarterback position, what they want to do. Um, but they do have the right guy at the helm. And I dare I say, it seems that Douglas does know what he's doing. So you you get scared a little bit as a Jets fan because it seems like there are people in positions of power that actually know what they're doing. So this is uncharted territory as a Jets fan. You 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 almost feel like they're you're in good hands, and you're waiting for something to be screwed up, um, or, or or fail terribly. So your hopes and and dreams get dashed once more because once you've been hurt, you you continue to get hurt as a Jets fan. So it's it's going to be very interesting. Certainly with the salary cap, um, I wouldn't. You know, part of me wants them to go out and maybe get Allen Robinson. Um, but the other part of me thinks that, you know, you can draft a guy. You can get a guy later on that can be an impact player. I mean, Denzel Mims, I think, is going to be a solid receiver for years to come. Is he a number one option? I don't think so. But I think he'd be a very good two, and you have Crowder still for another year. Um, you just need to build up that offensive line, and you need to help out that defense. Uh, first and foremost so it'll be very interesting for sure yeah i'm excited about it luckily i do have basketball going on right now let's go nets everyone's sleeping on that you know something i'm gonna bring it up i don't talk about it on this show enough and you know what belly this would actually tie into what you said um pretty terrible i put a futures bet at the same time on the nets that i did on the uh, golden state warriors to win the title i like to pick one from each side clay thompson tore his knee two hours after i put that futures bet in so just like that gone see ya see ya they might make the postseason but uh that one disappeared it was just i could have just gave you guys the money if they if anyone could have just informed me on that happening beforehand i would have demo you guys the money and covered some losses but yeah it's betting on basketball isn't my forte i like the futures game but i will need something to keep me going maybe i'll dive into a college basketball i think we're oh. we'll still get we're gonna march madness we're gonna get march madness this year that'll be different but um it's never too late for that yeah, college basketball has been good this year. I, I mean, there's been some stop and go with teams with COVID protocol, but overall it's been a pretty, pretty good pro product. And uh, we're going to need the Michigan Wolverines to win the whole thing to recoup the, that Chiefs future. So is it too blue. late to get it on them? Do you think I, should, I could still get odds on that or no? I don't. Yeah. Well, no, it's not too late. I don't know what the price is now. No, I don't know what their uh, record is. So I didn't know if they were too good. I didn't know if they were, uh, they're projected to be a one seed right now. I mean, okay. I think they're probably in the 10 to 13 to one range. Okay. Well, that's profitable. I like that. Okay. We're in business. All right, maybe I become a Michigan Wolverine fan over the next coming months. We'll see. We got some money to play with after Sunday, but guys, 
thanks for coming on as always i appreciate this we did the episode a little different for all the viewers at home so i hope you guys stuck around and listened to it and enjoy this too let me know your thoughts on it comment below let me know anything you guys are thinking what you thought of the super bowl i would love to hear your takes especially about the referees that essentially ruined the super bowl for us not entirely but mainly if i had to point blame at someone it would be them so Anything, Pat? Did you want to say something? No, just thanks for having me on, Rod. Coach Campy, <laughs> enjoyable as always. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thanks again. I thought I was going to get a last-minute refs rant there. I was kind of <laughs> looking forward to that. But thank you, guys. I'll talk to you soon. See you. for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube